There was an idea. Dormammu, I come to bargain. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Bunch of jackasses standing in a circle. Baskin Robbins always finds out. I for the faster baby. Are you Tony Stank? I am Iron Man. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of Assembly Required. I am your host, Eduardo, and I want to thank everybody for listening, who's been listening so far, and who's, if you're, even if it's your first time, or if this is your fourth episode, I want to thank you guys for being here. Um, fifth? We did an intro episode. Oh, man, if this is your fifth episode. Wow. I thought I had that down. Either way. If this is your fifth episode or your first episode, I want to welcome you. This is Assembly Required, an MCU retrospective where we reassemble the MCU piece by piece, movie by movie. And today we are talking all about Thor. And I have assembled a team of Asgardian officials to discuss all things Thor with me. But first, I need to introduce my partner in crime who is with me every step of the way. It's Peaches. Peaches, what's up, man? I kind of miss being a crackpot. I'm sorry. I, like we were crackpots for so long, and now we I'm an official. You're an Asgardian like, official. That's different. Like, I cleaned up my act or something. I guess I don't. You did. I feel like I lost something. That's your story arc, man. <laughs> oh wow! Crackpot to Asgardian official. <laughs> I wonder what's I, next. I also have my uh, my peach hat on right now too. If you look I know, at I that. see that. Yep, it yeah. looks looks pretty dang good. Yeah. Shop.spreadshirt.com slash peaches <laughs> for for hot peach merch. For all your peach needs. Um also joining us uh, from the sound layer, it is the sound lord himself, Chris. Chris, what's up, man? Hey, so I've been downgraded from palace to lair, but I'm okay with that because layers are awesome too. So uh, I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> Also joining us, resident writer for all things Squad Up and Assembly Required, it's Robbie. Robbie, what's up, man? Not a whole lot. Feeling in a a, a whole lot of emotions after watching today's viewing. That's an interesting. You know what? We'll, we're going to unpack that later on in the show. But that's going to be the only that's time we say that. All right. Episode. All right. We're we're only going to say that once, and that's it. We got it and out Buck of the way. I took it the first one. Um. Also, we've got a fun guest on the show today. You've heard him on Squad Up, but he's making his way on over to Assembly Required all the way from Satan's butt crack. It's Cody. Cody, what's up, man? Hey, Squad. Yeah, it is hot as hell out here, but I'm ready to talk some Thor. Glad I was deemed worthy. Yeah, man. I was looking... It was like a like 120 degrees out there. Oh, yeah. My car registered 125 the other day, and I cried. But I couldn't shed tears because all of the te- all of the water evaporated from my body. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's also nice because we're like, we got somebody who's close to New Mexico. Not that New Mexico actually has any yeah. bearing on this. <laughs> besides New Mexico! The that, besides the and fact that it's staged in New Mexico. Crack, which is close to the Devil's Anus, which does show up later in the Thor series. So uh, There we go. Maybe accurate. Cody went, went to the Hammer tailgate party. Oh, guys, yeah, oh, dude, I went spot hilarious. location. Yeah, I, Listen, I went on the spot location. I grew location. up in New Mexico. Everyone was going to that party. <laughs> it was a great party. Now, we're talking all about Thor. We've, we've, uh, if you've been following the show so far, we've done an intro episode. We've talked about Iron Man. We have talked about Iron Man 2. We've talked about the Incredible Hulk. And now we're talking about Thor. And to sort of brief us on this character, Robbie has got a little presentation he'd like to present with all of us. Robbie? Yeah, um, so Thor was introduced 
uh, like everyone we've talked about so far, early 1960s by Stanley and Jack Kirby. Um, it was actually 1962 um, in the publication Journey into Mystery, um, which handled a lot of different stories. Uh, but Stanley wanted to introduce Norse mythology into it. He was a big fan of it and he thought they looked cool. Um, and he said, uh, how do you make someone stronger than the strongest person? It finally came to me. Don't make me human. Make him a god. I decided readers were already pretty familiar with the Greek and Roman gods. I might have fun delving into old Norse legends. I cannot do a Stanley cameo and I will never try. Um, or, or impression. Um, in 1963, so just a year after he's introduced, Thor was brought over to be a founding member of the Avengers, which is kind of what he's mostly known for. Um, and a little bit of backstory... Uh, Thor was originally Dr. Donald Blake, who, while on vacation running away from aliens in Norway, found himself in a cave where he found a staff, and when he hit that staff against a rock, it became Thor's hammer Mjolnir, um, and due to a now-famous inscription, it gave him, and him being worthy, gave him the powers of Thor. Um, and that was really the story of Thor for the first few years, uh, really three years, was Donald Blake would become Thor when it was time to save the world from something. Uh, the next issue... Um, so the following issue to Thor's introduction, we were introduced to his nurse, Jane Foster, who he worked with, and they became she became his love interest. Then the issue after that, importantly, we were introduced to his brother, Loki, um, or Thor's brother, Loki, not Donald Blake's brother, Loki, uh, who became his arch nemesis. And that's really important, um, not only for what we're going to be discussing on the series, but Loki became one of those guys like like a Magneto or a Doctor Doom, who was not just the arch nemesis of Thor, he was a larger enemy for the entire Marvel Universe and a very important character, even though he was not the titular character. Um, 1966 was actually big for Doctor Dr. Donald Blake. Um, the Thor, the Journey into Mystery was renamed to Thor, um, and that series has continued to run since then. So Thor has always had an ongoing. Um, the title has gone back and forth and changed a little bit, but he's had an ongoing the whole time, even though he's mostly known as an Avenger. Um, and 1966 is also when Dr. Blake's uh, story was retconned into, no, no, it's not an alter ego. He is actually Thor. It's just his dad, Odin, sent him down to Earth to teach him humility. Um, and then he had to prove he was worthy to possess Mjolnir, but he is actually Thor. And so they forgot the Donald Blake thing. Um, that may sound familiar because that's literally the plot of the movie we're about to discuss. Uh, and so over time, Thor has stayed a very important character in Marvel continuity, not always the most popular character, but very important to the franchise um, and always kind of there for when they need him to be in any any big crossover always has Thor and probably always will. So he's always been an important character, even if he's not the most popular. Loki's name is Lucas Blake. <laughs> I was thinking more like, you know, it'd probably be like Steve, <laughs> Stephen Blake. Sounds a little more accurate. Um, and Chris, um, can you tell us a little bit about the release of the film? I sure can. The uh, In 2006, Iron Man was in pre-production. Marvel Studios acquired the rights to Thor from Sony Pictures, as Sony had not produced a film in time. Uh, that actually turns out to be a bit of a theme throughout uh, the early MCU, is reacquiring the rights because, oh, you didn't make a movie in time, or not reacquiring the rights because a film studio decides to do a quick reboot just in case. So the pre-production began immediately, and they started looking for a director. And their first choice, and I actually was not aware of this, was Guillermo del Toro, the man most famous for almost directing so many movies. In fact, <laughs> he left Thor. He was a huge Thor fan. Presumably he still is. But he left Thor to go direct The Hobbit. And we all remember how that turned out. 
great. Oh, sad. <laughs> I, I really, really, as a sidebar, I was saying just like yesterday how much I wish I could see Guillermo del Toro's Hobbit movies, but oh well, because I think he's a fantastic director with a really great visual style. So we didn't get that, but we did get Kenneth Branagh, which I always thought was such an interesting choice. It was it was a very unusual choice because Kenneth Branagh's roots are directing Shakespeare and drama. I mean, he's a great Shakespearean actor. You might know him as Gilderoy Lockhart from the Harry Potter films. Also directed and starred in a very, very long and accurate adaptation of Hamlet. Uh, but they brought him in. I believe they said they brought him in because they wanted to bring sort of a sense of Shakespearean drama to the Asgard sections of the film. Uh, Dude, you just so, blew my mind. Oh, did you not know he was Gilderoy Lockhart? Or, I had uh, no, yeah. no idea. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Oh my gosh! I just like my my mouth was just open so wide after you said that. I like I believed you, but I immediately had to look it up. <laughs> like this can't be true. I believe it, but I don't believe it. Right. Yeah, no, it's it was it was a really cool choice. Uh, so what they did actually with his roots being in, in Shakespeare and drama, uh, one of the big decisions that Kenneth Brown I made that really contributed to the Marvel Cinematic Universe is that he brought in Tom Hiddleston. Uh, they had wor- done previous work together in the theater, so he brought in Tom Hiddleston to play Loki. And I think- Thank you, Kenneth Brown. Yes, thank you. Honestly. Thank you. you, just, you th- I you don't just... remember what... We can talk. Can we talk about San Diego Comic Con really quick? Yeah, because we, I think we have to talk about it because it just happened. If you're hearing this, you might be hearing this a week removed from it, but it just happened to us. We had San Diego Comic Con, and do you yesterday. remember? Do you remember? I think it was before the first Avengers where Loki showed up on stage, like the lights went out, and then Loki was just there, and then he gave like a, a monologue. It was, you guys know what I'm talking about? It was 2013, and the only reason I know that I, I, I'm pretty sure it's 2013. It was the year after Avengers. And I appreciate the, the only reason I know that is because I had friends who were there and they just posted their Facebook memories. No uh, way. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure it was 2013, might've been 14, but pretty sure it was 13 where Tom Hiddleston showed up in character. <sighs> so He's jealous. just so good. Yeah. Also um, with the most recent San Diego Comic-Con news, uh, Jane Foster is going to be the new Thor. Um, so there's a lot, uh, the new Thor movie was just, Sort of, uh, we got the title for it, uh, Love and Thunder. So Thor, Love and Thunder is going to be in there. Best title ever. Best title. I'm really interested to see how that ties in with the Asgardians of the galaxy. uh, (laughs) (laughs) And sort of how he ends up from point A to point B. Uh, I'm interested to see if we get Jane Foster Thor, if we get Beta Ray Bill, or any of the other like fun Thors or anything like that. So there's a lot of fun stuff going on with Thor. And Thor is the only one of the the tentpole three, the original big three, that is still going on, right? So the other two have, have the the curtain has closed. We're, we're, we're not getting any more Iron Man movies. We're not getting any more um, Captain America movies, but we are getting another Thor movie. And I almost feel like that's okay because you can kind of subtract at least one of the Thor movies. And it's like he only had three movies. He's only going to have three movies. <laughs> I don't feel like you right. need to though, because yeah. Iron also, Man. Also, big shout out that Taika Waititi's yes. coming back. Well, Iron Man has like three movies that are titled after him, but he really has like ten movies. Right. <laughs> so, There's one that's like Iron Man, four. but Spider Man is there. I think right. I counted. I was driving today, and I was thinking about, and I think I counted that he was in five more movies after Iron Man three. Mm-hmm. Also, the Avengers movies are just Iron Man movies, right? With other people. Uh, yeah, that's agree, my impression. But uh yeah. <laughs> they were gonna name it iron man and friends but the avengers came up better. that makes sense that makes sense 
Iron um, Man Inc. <laughs> now, fun little snippet here. I didn't realize this, but the original role was offered to Daniel Craig, and he turned it down to be James Bond. That was I good think call. that worked out for everyone involved, yeah. really. It's so but interesting. It did not work out for one person. <laughs> oh. It didn't it work not... out work out for the other person who auditioned for the role. <laughs> Liam Hemsworth. <laughs> I didn't was, know this until research. Who <laughs> was passed over for his brother, Chris Hemsworth. Uh, I am just learning about Does that right now. That is very exciting. Because I'm thinking of the other Hemsworth brother from The Good Place who is always living in their shadows. And that may as well have been Liam. Uh, oh, the one who's also in Westworld? Westworld. Yeah, he got his Westworld shot out there. You know, that's good oh, yeah. enough for the third Hemsworth. No, the good place yeah. there's like a fourth Hemsworth brother who doesn't like who doesn't actually exist in real life, but there are all these jokes about like Dave Hemsworth or something. That's uh. like <laughs> Also, when I went to my wife to tell her this fun factoid that the five of us just learned, she just looks me dead in the eye and goes, Yes, I knew that. <laughs> oh. Whoa. Wow. Dang. Got coming in strong. Um, got him. Now, the other Hemsworth brother did appear as Thor in Thor Ragnarok. In the best scene in Thor Ragnarok, but yes. that's for a future episode. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Well, take a shot, everybody. Uh, <laughs> it's already happened three times. Eduardo yeah. said it was only going to happen once. I, I forced that upon us. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, sorry, everybody. I lied. Yeah. Oh, well. But, yeah, I think Chris Hemsworth, uh, you know, started a great tradition of casting people named Chris as uh, heroes in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I Sweet agree. For your yeah. Shot. yeah, I'm I'm excited because uh, you know everyone always talks about how we need more representation in 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 superhero movies, especially. And I am personally the most represented demographic in superhero movies. I'm a white guy named Chris. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Go, going all the way back Damn. to the original Superman uh, <laughs> with Christopher Reeve, and up to today, where we've got Chris Pine, Chris Chris Hemsworth, Chris Pratt, Chris Evans. I'm just just overflowing with the representation. So you, I, I you have the best shot of all of us. I can only hope. That's how casting works. <laughs> they haven't uh, they haven't made Moon Knight yet. I don't know. That's that's a hero. <laughs> eventually. Chris Larson from Moon Knight. <laughs> no. There we go. No. Is this is this what it's like to be named Martha? <laughs> Why would you say that? Why would you say that name? Why would you say that name? Where'd you hear that name? <laughs> Martha. Oh wait, we're not talking about those movies, right? <laughs> God, no, we're not. Surprise! <laughs> Welcome to the Snyder cast. <laughs> we fooled them. Podcast now that, for no one. Now that all the Marvel fans are here, oh, let's tell them how much we love Zack Snyder. Snyder. Yeah. <laughs> there are enough defenders out there. Hashtag right. release uh, the Snyder Cut. Anyway. So we've diverted enough just at the beginning of the show. So let's start talking about what happened in the movie Thor. So the, Thor, or the movie Thor opens... Um, with Odin speaking to his sons. We, we see a giant battle between the Frost Giants, how they invade Norway. Um, Odin and the Asgardians end up driving them back, back to Asgard. Um, Asgard sort of, they sort of introduce what Asgard is, is this big sort of center of the universe type of place that that has other realms within it, which is interesting because it's like the multiverse before the multiverse was a thing. Exactly, exactly. That's what's exciting about it, the nine different realms possible. It really right. opened up that for the future of the multiverse to come to the Marvel right. universe. They were like, it's well, not, instead of... It's not copies of the same place, though. It's nine separate 
it's like worlds in Kingdom Hearts. It's yeah, like yeah. there's Halloween Town, and here's where the <laughs> ice giants live, and here's where <laughs> here's where all the rich white folk live in You've Asgard. Gotheim, Tartelheim, Pumpkinheim. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's going to be Kingdom Hearts Four that will introduce Under the Pumpkinheim and <laughs> um, Odin. Then starts talking to his two small little. You see little little kid Thor and little kid Loki, and he's talking to him about how one of them is going to be king. Um, and Robbie, this is sort of the first introduction of high fantasy into the MCU, right? Yeah, and I don't actually know if anyone here is necessarily on my side with this, um, but that was something I was really excited about. Uh, and, and even in rewatching, just even more in rewatching, I was really, really thrilled by the setting and how it's brought to life at the start of the movie, um, how the story is told uh, um, with with. Hopkins is great delivery um, and with the battle and just those shots of Asgard at the start and the, the music is wonderful. And it's just, it's a little bit of, it's not Tolkien, although though kind of it is because Tolkien brought a lot of his idea from Nordic mythology. Um, but that whole feeling of myths and high fantasy and big universes and battles um, being in the MCU is something that's really cool. And I had kind of forgotten it was there. And I think it's underappreciated in this movie. And I don't know if any of you guys are sword and fantasy nerds like I am to really love that in this, but I, I thought it was great. Um, and and I kind of wish we'd seen more of it. I like the way that the Thor franchise went, but I'm kind of sad that we kind of stepped back as we went forward uh, from where this film set its place. Well, where, what is the what other high fantasy heroes are there that we could? We, well, because it feels like they took them a little bit more cosmic rather than high fantasy. Because we've got. Thor, but what are the other? And this is me genuinely asking because I don't know what are the other high fantasy Marvel so heroes. Part of that is there aren't any others really. Um, oh, okay, there are. Um, Hercules is a Marvel hero. Hercules. Um, but off the top of my head, I can't think of any that can really deliver that, and that's actually why I'm a little sad. This is the only one because Thor's the guy that can give us that. But by the third Thor, which I loved, but by the third Thor, it was more like sci-fi and less like fantasy. Um, it, it was almost kind of like Star Wars or Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, so we kind of lost that, that that sword and sorcery thing. Um, I don't think there are any other options for it. But that said, I am glad we got one film. I that think really you could argue Captain Marvel may be the next best under that. Just with, you know, her is not a, a science, you know, ability or anything. That's not so sci-fi. It's more of the mystical with her abilities and all that stuff. So I think she's could be a close comparison, but overall you're, you're definitely right that Thor kind of holds the, the lone category for being the truly like fantastic and the mythical. Right. And well, there's definitely possible. No, go ahead. I was going to say that possibly they could go that route with the Eternals that they just announced. That's a good point. Because the Eternals were, and it doesn't make sense when you really think about it, uh, a lot of them are named after gods from different mythologies, and they always implied, the Eternals always implied, oh yes, like my name is Zerus, but uh, you all know me as Zeus, and my name is Icarus, and you know me as Icarus, and then it turns out later, no, actually Zeus is this other guy, uh, the Eternals are just kind of full of themselves about that, uh, because every single pantheon of gods ever exists in the marvel universe <laughs> but there is they are science fiction but definitely mo of more of the fantasy variety of science fiction of they are sort of the all-knowing 
ancient space gods, really. So there is the chance that they could go sort of a fantasy direction with that. They might not. Uh, I'm not super familiar with the Eternals. I think I've read one thing where they ever showed up. And I was like, who is this Icarus guy? And why is his name spelled weirdly? And there we go. But Right. And I also think that... I remember when this movie came out, maybe you guys weren't exposed to this, but I felt like I was. The New Mexico portions of this movie were much maligned. The whole, well, Thor's just slumming it as a human in rural New Mexico. And and people felt that was boring. And I feel like it just juxtaposes perfectly against that high fantasy thing I just thought. Because then there's this portion of the film that it's it's rural and it's grounded and it's comedy. And it's it, that all works because of what we were shown at the beginning. And then what we end up with at the end with what I think is one of the most dramatic um, final confrontations in a Marvel movie, which, you know, not, not to spoil that, but I hope you're not getting spoiled because <laughs> you're listening to the wrong place. If yeah. You haven't seen this movie yet. I, I personally, I love a good fish out of water comedy. Yes. And one of the reasons that I love this movie so much is that, First, the first act really where mm-hmm. Thor is kind of lost in New Mexico and just seems very out of place. Like up until he actually storms the the shield bunker later on. It is I'm... so funny. I just remember yeah. watching it for the first time because this is actually the first Marvel movie I did not see in theaters. I didn't see it until just before Avengers came out. I didn't I remember see it watching after. it. I Oh, wow. But I remember watching this and going, I didn't expect this movie to be this funny. And I had a real great time watching it. And that's one of the reasons I really like it. I'm going to go. I want to tell you guys that are listening that our, the way our show notes are broken up is we, we have a synopsis and they're They're notated by letter because that's how many plot points that we're going to be going through. And we go all the way to V <laughs> and we're at a right now. And I'm already going to disagree with everybody. Disagree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Because wow. I felt the exact opposite. I remember sitting and I was writing notes and we were at some really cool shot in Asgard and I was writing a note about how cool the costumes were and how like I really enjoyed that. And then we flashed over to New Mexico and everybody was just wearing like jeans and a t-shirt. And I was like, but I was just talking about how cool the costumes were. And here we are with fla- or flannel thorn. I don't, <laughs> I guess to me, it just didn't. I wanted to be in Asgard more. I wanted more of that. And I wanted less of basically everything that was happening in New Mexico, except for maybe Thor throwing a coffee cup on the ground and saying another. I thought maybe (laughs) you were suggesting you wanted everybody in New Mexico to be wearing like a Lady Gaga meat dress or something. I, I mean, if they would have all had like, as that's what makes it good though, because I actually I'm glad you brought up the the costume design because that's one of my favorite things. The costume design is dope for all of Asgardians and everything like that. But I like that we get to go to New Mexico, watch people slumming it up in their plaid and their, you know, regular roughing it up. And then when you see Lady Civ and the Warriors three walking in the streets as they, you know, first come in, it's like, those guys are, they don't belong here. And I enjoy that. (laughs) I don't disagree that that's a good scene, but I don't enjoy how much I had to suffer. (laughs) Well, Oh my gosh. And I think I would have loved to have more of exactly what you're saying. It doesn't make me like this movie less. It makes me like the rest of the trilogy less. The problem is that we do technically get this movie that I'm talking about, and it's Thor the Dark World, and it doesn't it doesn't hit as hard hey, as some of the Don't spoil that for me. I haven't seen it. <laughs> oh, my bad. We'll talk about this later. Shut yeah, but is that <laughs> Shot number four. Okay, make make note of this because we're gonna have this argument because I'm not sure that is what Thor: The Dark World is. Maybe it's what it was trying to be, but 
Yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe it is. I maybe I'm just not remembering it, and when we rewatch it, I'll feel differently. But from what I remember currently, before we do the rewatch of the Dark World, I remember the Dark World being the more Asgard type tale, whereas Ragnarok and the first Thor are more in Thor being put in a separate world. Yeah, I mean, there is definitely more Asgard in Dark World, which is one of the reasons I brought in a Game of Thrones director eventually. But the, talking about the directors of that is going to be a whole other thing as well. But it's an Asgardian bedrooms. It's just a bunch of Asgardian yeah, yeah. bedrooms. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I They tried to go for the fantasy by making elves the bad guy, and they do visit the different, uh, different realms a little bit. And that's where it's good. Yes, yeah, that's the best part. Not the elves, but the visiting different realms. But... Again, that's for another episode. We gotta talk about this. We gotta. We you gotta can't get say to that. Thor. It's for this episode. Now we've got to do the Thor Dark World, so we don't say next episode. I'm already <laughs> drunk. I don't know about you Peaches, guys. What are your thoughts on Thor the Dark oh, this World? Is, this is not I don't what know. I signed up for. Let's go to Let's go to Bullet Point B, everybody. <laughs> let's flip the podcast to Bullet Point B, so that we can finish before tomorrow. We arrive at a really cool scene, at least a scene that I really enjoy, which is Thor sort of sauntering his way into his coronation, and he's like winking and like strutting and showing off and like wearing his helmet for the only oh time. Oh my god! I that was one of my notes was that I missed that helmet because it looks so damn cool. Yep. Yeah, the girl in Adventures in Babysitting wears it more than Thor does throughout the whole series. <laughs> <laughs> so sad because it yeah. looks so. You kind of get it in um, in um, Ragnarok again a little bit in the the battle in the pit, but little, yeah, yeah, it's it's never quite as uh, as good as pronounced as it is in the first one. He should have always worn it. Which, which is such a shame because Loki's helmet is also really cool, and he gets to wear that all the time. Yep. And Tom Hiddleston has great hair too, so yeah. like you don't always want to put that underneath a crazy horned helmet. That's what I, I was just going to say. Was, hair yeah. crazy was maybe they wanted to show off Chris's hair, but then what about Loki? No one's looking at Chris Hemsworth's hair. Disagree. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, as Thor is being coronated, uh, their vaults, which houses something that was taken from the Frost Giants at the end of their war, uh, is invaded by Frost Giants themselves, and we. We get a scene which is right about right before where Thor is about to be coronated, where they go down into the vault, and Thor and Odin have a disagreement about what's going on here, uh, about what they should be doing next. And then Loki sort of convinces Thor without Thor realizing it, which I guess you could call manipulation, um, that he should maybe tricking. be going the tricking. Trickster. He tricks it's very Thor. mischievous, yeah, trickster. Uh, to invade Jotunheim and get some retribution, figure out what was going on and maybe crack some skulls. Obviously at the mention of going out and kicking some ass, Thor is like, absolutely. Let's go do that. (laughs) Why would I do anything else but that? So they go over to Jotunheim and things obviously don't go quite as expected. The frost giants are a little, uh, a little more powerful than everybody realizes. We get a nice fun fight scene with um, Sif and the Warriors 3, as well as Thor and Loki, where they're fighting some frost giants. And we get the first glimpse of Loki figuring out that he is also a frost giant when one of the frost giants touches his arm, and he doesn't hurt like everyone else, and his arm starts to turn the color of the frost giants. Um, At the end of this battle, we get Thor and Odin 
uh, basically at odds with each other because what Thor has done is reignited the war between the Frost Giants and Asgard. And he basically banishes Thor to Earth, takes away his hammer, and says an enchantment to Mjolnir that says whoever's worthy can pick up this hammer in a lot prettier words than I just said. Now, <laughs> that's the Spark Notes version. Can I, can I interject <laughs> with a fun fact real quick? Yeah. You know, I love fun facts. When Odin arrives on Jotunheim to, uh, to get Thor out of there, Thor and his friends out of there, he is riding a horse. And if you look carefully, you see that horse has eight legs. Oh, oh I didn't notice that yes. yes. Odin's actual eight-legged horse. Yes, Slepnir. Mm-hmm. And in the Norse mythology, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Odin rides an eight-legged horse named Slepnir, and in the original Norse myth, <laughs> Slepnir's mother <laughs> is Loki. Loki is Odin's horse's mother in mythology that makes because sense. Loki turned into a mare to hide from someone. And what? What? Yeah, I really uh, hope that happens in the Loki series. We can only hope. Does, uh, isn't Loki also the father of the world serpent? Uh, I think possibly. Yeah, that uh, is actually is. accurate. I read that the other day and I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. I also learned recently that Krampus is Hell's son. Hella. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I did actually know Krampus. Yeah, that's something I learned, no which gave way. me a great idea, which I am not going to share here just in case I ever have the opportunity to make TM. it actually happen. That's but... a deep cut. Well... <laughs> I think everything that we're describing here it brings up a really important point, which is if you were watching any of the Thor movies, that didn't does not mean you know a single thing about Norse mythology. Yep, because it is not even close to what some would consider true Norse mythology. And the problem with mythology in general is mythology is it, it's just that there are hundreds of different yeah. stories, right? Like it's there's not like mm-hmm. an exact this is what these people believed because people believed a bunch of different things even in that same time period. So well, we can... Yeah. They take a I, lot from it, which is interesting because, mm-hmm. like, in in the myths, Loki is actually a frost giant who was sure. He is actually... Son. Yes, he is actually Loki Lofason in in the original... Uh, or Loki, son of Lofason. Well, I think, to yeah. be fair, I think that as, as a whole, I think more people know and not that norse mythology is not interesting because i think it's very interesting but i think as a whole that greek mythology is probably yeah. the more popular one that people invest more time in in understanding so yeah, this movie I, yeah. like you, you wouldn't necessarily unless you were a big norse mythology nerd be able to pick these things out um you know without doing a lot of research you know thor and norse mythology is actually a ginger and so i thought that you know that would be kind of nice if they had uh, thor representing the gingers in the world red hair with a big bushy red beard that would be pretty exciting yeah. rip you rip me you would have been represented peaches <laughs> Damn. Peaches, you you, you Damn. can be our ginger representative colson represents me now sure, that true. i have no hair oh <laughs> Yeah. A sidebar to that, because no. I also wanted to say that the, the the blonde dye that they used in his beard and the eyebrows, uh, it's it's really distracting oh. when you first watch it. I hadn't seen this movie in a while, and when I first oh. turned it on, I was like, "Oh, his yep. his beard! Oh, his eyebrows! They're they're so blonde, <laughs> blonde, yeah. It's not a good look. They uh, they tend to fix that in the later movies. Now, peaches, you." You've put a point here in the notes to talk about 
how this is a sort of mirroring similar story arcs that we've seen already here in the MCU. Yeah, so when I was watching this on my own time and then again when I was at Robbie's this morning, um, it was... It, it didn't go away when I watched it at Robbie's. It was... This is like Tony Stark, but Norse mythology. It, he shows up in the beginning and they're having a celebration and the celebration is strictly about Thor, you know, being kinged, I guess. But he's cocky and arrogant. He walks in, like you said earlier, he's winking at all the ladies. He's he's just, you know, just showing off the ego that he's like this muscular buff dude that's going to be the king. Y'all bow down to the king sort of thing. And he gets a little too cocky. All the show notes we've already gone over. He and he ends up having to learn this. You know, the movie is him trying to learn this giant lesson in humility and doing more king like actions. You know, the actions that he was exhibiting before weren't actions that a good a good king would take, which is why he was, you know, a big reason why he was banished. Obviously, the the attack on Jotunheim is the main reason. But overall, you could tell before that attack, he really wasn't in a good place to be king. And I think that just mirrors Tony so well. It's funny that these are both in the same phase and they're both origin stories and they both share such a similar arc. I mean, there's definitely twists and turns along the way for both of those characters, but it's just kind of weird when you think about how two movies in the same phase introducing different characters are line up that well. Yeah, I think that's pretty true. And I honestly hadn't thought about it until you said it. But it, it it's obvious that the same sort of story gets repeated a lot. We all know that's how things work. Um, we're going to spend a lot of this episode talking about mythology, which is the same story is being repeated over and over. But that tends to be repeated as like the hero's journey in these kind of stories. And our next film is definitely the hero's journey. But this one is these. This one is not. This one is, a, you know, sort of a different. Someone starting at a height. And then learning how to basically control and get back to the height they were already at. And you're right. That's really what Tony Stark was. You know, in his case, it was genius instead of the you know, powers of a literal god. But yeah, I, I think that's definitely true. And that's not meant to be, I'm assuming you're not saying that's meant to be taken literally that it is the same story. But it is no, a no, unique no. hero arc that two consecutive MCU movies shared. And I had not thought about that until you brought it up. No, I wouldn't have changed it. I just thought it was it was eerie that it struck that similar to me and I and it, it stuck out to me right away. Like that's the first thing I thought of was, oh my gosh, it's Norse Tony. <laughs> Norse Tony. <laughs> it's also interesting that it's sort of the Stark fall from grace story that has not really been told that much before. If you think of superhero movies, a lot of the superhero movies that we're familiar with, let's take Spider-Man, for example, it's somebody who has sort of has had greatness thrust upon them and they don't really want it, but they have to learn to live with it. Right. right. Whereas Iron Man and Thor are deaf people who, who yearn for that. They yearn for the greatness. They want to be great, but they don't necessarily deserve it. At least at first. Right. They That's start great and they, they are starting great and having to earn their greatness instead of, you know, building up towards it without expecting it. Right. We then get uh, Jane Foster, who we've talked about, who's going to be the new Thor, hitting, yeah. who's played by Natalie Portman, hitting Thor with her car when Thor gets banished to, um, what's what's Earth called? Midgard. Midgard. Yeah. So she gets banished to Midgard, and then um, 
after some, some New Mexico. New Mexico. Eduardo's been taking shots also. I've <laughs> been yeah. taking shots this whole time. I believe that's um, south in of New Mexico. <laughs> we then get uh, uh, we get some 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 introductions to a few characters. Eric Selvig. We get Kat Dennings' character, who I couldn't Darcy. tell you what her name is, except I see Darcy. Darcy. Darcy sure, you yeah, mean Kat Dennings? Yeah, because we get that great scene where he says Jane Foster, Eric <laughs> Selvig, Darcy. Farewell. <laughs> <laughs> um. And I I want to talk about something else that Pete just put in the notes, which um, I agree with, is that the pacing in this movie seems a little seems a little off. I don't want to say that it's <laughs> awful, but it's awful. So I lied about it. I lied about what I wanted to say. The pace. So there's no good place in the notes to put this unless I was unless we were going to put it at the very end because there's no one thing in the movie that happens that is i think worse pacing than any other section of the movie the, re-watching this i didn't realize how much i enjoyed this movie and it might be because of hindsight because we know what happens with thor's character um and we know what happens as a whole in the rest of the mcu but everything just takes so long to get pieced together the movie is just shy of two hours i believe it's an hour 57 and I can't even give you a real concrete example. It just feels like so much of the movie is moving in slow motion. And then you get these sections, fight scenes, funny interactions, whatever they are that go really fast. Lots of things are assumed. Jane Foster falls in love with Thor, in my opinion, overnight. It's kind of Stockholm syndrome. Like I hit you with my car twice and now I'm in love with you. Like, it just there are just sections of it that it's like taffy, like they just stretch it as far as it can go. And now we're going to have some more content that we can we can chew. But I think if the pacing wasn't so weird in this movie, I at the end of this episode, I probably would have rated it higher because I think this movie really does. I wouldn't say hold up because I didn't love it the first time I saw it, but in hindsight with everything we know, the point of this podcast, the whole retrospective thing, I think this movie gets bonus points, but then kind of equalizes with the pacing. I'm with you. I I wanted to like this movie more. I think what for me was missing is I wanted more Thor. And I I know he's in the movie and he he's there, but like I think at the beginning we get we get Thor, right? We get we get the Thor that we're all looking for, and at the very very end we get Thor. But the meat of the movie is the Clark Kent version of Thor, right? Which I think is fine for funny hijinks to an extent, but I wanted more of the hero. I wanted more of that rather than the more human side of the tale, which I think is maybe just personal preference on my side. I I don't think I'd say that. I I don't think I'd say I dislike the story that they took Thor through. I just think that it it dragged in the wrong parts. I don't I don't know how to articulate it well because I felt like I was sitting there watching that movie for three hours both times. It just it felt like I was there all day. And a movie shouldn't feel like that, especially when you watch a movie for the second time. Usually when you watch a movie for the second time, you've you already know all the plot points. Nothing is really 
I mean, you, you might find new things in the movie, but most of it is not new information anymore. So it feels like it moves a lot faster. But both times I watched Thor, it was, man, I I have to trim my beard again. I've been <laughs> sitting in this spot for so long. I I wonder what the light of day is like. I, <laughs> I need to call my loved ones. <laughs> That's what's happening in the world. What year is it? <laughs> I completely disagree with all of that, but I actually know that a lot of people agree with you guys. Um, so I think I'm in the minority, and I don't really know why it is that I find the pacing fine. But I think watching it today, what kind of occurred to me, so I'm glad you brought that up, is it feels like we've talked a lot about how the MCU, what makes it great, is they did actually embrace their source material and say, we are the comics, here are the comics on screen, with with liberties taken, but for the most part, you can connect to this is from its source material. And so I wonder if they felt a little beholden to, we've got to basically have the Thor story where Donald Blake gets sent down for to learn humility. And I wonder if they were beholden to having to have this origin story based in the comics that is not actually necessary. A Thor origin story was not a thing that had to happen. A Thor origin. And yes, I, I yes, <laughs> origin. Thank you. I didn't mind it. Obviously, I, I, I did not have that pacing problem you guys did. But I think I'm in the minority on that. And I wonder if it's because they felt this is how this movie has to be. And it didn't. We could have just had a whole movie of Thor. Never had to be explained. No, I agree with that. I think that's that's probably the reason that it, it feels like it has those pacing issues is because what the story they wanted to tell is we had to see the rise and fall and then the rise of Thor again. So that was the main <clears throat> meat and vegetables of the whole movie. And then everything else had to be sprinkled in around it in ways, you know, the relationship with him and Jane Foster was going on with Jane Foster and Selvig and them on the outside. And then like, so the back and forth, I can see where it can lose certain people sometimes with the pacing there. I don't think necessarily it suffers as much as, uh, you know, as peaches does. I'm kind of with you, Robbie, but I'm in the middle somewhere. So for the record, I do agree with you on the Jane relationship moving too quickly though. I thought of a few more examples though. Like there's the, um, pretty much most of the scenes where they're in the compound and they're just like dicking around on their computers Nothing ever comes of that. They're just sitting around in there looking at their computers, trying to figure out what the hammer is doing. Nothing happened because of that. It was just like filler until Thor and Jane could drive down the road safely to get there. Eyes on the road, Jane. Okay, I know he's hot, but watch the road driving. (laughs) And also, and it was maybe six extra seconds of movie, but I didn't think that they needed to show Odin, like the reminder of Odin, saying that whoever wields this hammer be they worthy whatever when he got his powers back at the end of the movie i didn't think they needed to show that didn't we all realize that that was happening like he couldn't a focal point of the movie was that he had he he went into the compound and he could not lift the hammer from the rock he could not pull the hammer out and then he tried to sacrifice himself and the hammer came back to him. We didn't need to see Odin saying that again. We know that he's worthy now if the hammer came back to him. Right? Right. Trust your audience. It's just a lot of filler. I watched you react to that and I was wondering what your reaction was and I figured that's what it was. Mm Mm-hmm. That's all. We then move on. um, (laughs) Do we? (laughs) After some antics, um, Jane starts to think that maybe Thor is potentially telling the truth 
um, which leads to the scene that you guys were just talking about where um, Thor and uh, a company find Mjolnir after it's been found by some locals and S.H.I.E.L.D. arrives and, and sort of creates sort of a compound around it. And then the gang all goes and basically tries to get the the hammer out. Um, we then get a, a scene where Loki confronts his father about his heritage and we get really, really, really great stuff um, from Odin specifically. And if anybody didn't know, Robbie, who is Odin? So Odin um, is the father of Thor and Loki. Um, he is the king of Asgard at this point. Um, and that he is a character from actual Norse mythology um, and, and played sort of the same role. Uh, and at this point in the, in the film, he's going through his uh, fall from grace, if you will. Like, like that's, I think that's a running theme in what Brana put here. Each, almost everyone, major character, is having a fall from grace moment. And at this point in the movie, Odin has been high and mighty. He came to Jotunheim and saved everyone. And, you know, he's the, the perfect god. And now we're learning that there's a little bit of darkness in that they stormed the Jotunheim uh, in that war that you discussed at the start of the movie. And Loki found the son of Lofi, the king of the frost giants, and decided, this is a nice spoil of war. I'm going to take it and make it mine. Which is, <laughs> by the way, son. again, from actual Norse mythology. And you raised... Made this? I made this. I made this. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Kidnapping, try it. And so he raised Loki as his son. Um, Loki discovers he's a frost giant. Um, and there is a confrontation, just like he said, good stuff. Um, Anthony Hopkins and um, and Tom Hiddleston are phenomenal in this movie. And everyone's phenomenal in this movie. This is I don't remember thinking this at the time, but when you look at this movie now... Kenneth Branagh directed Natalie Portman and Tom Hiddleston and Anthony Hopkins and Rene Russo and Idris Elba and Stellan Skarsgård. And like, that sounds like something that's posturing for an Academy Award. Like it doesn't sound like a yeah. superhero yeah. movie about a B list superhero. So, and he directed it like that. Like Branagh, he has his humor and he has his comic book stuff, but he directs this movie around these emotional moments and it goes the whole time. Um, Anthony Hopkins is absolutely scene stealing every time he's on this screen. And as we know, so is Tom Hiddleston, because we now have a whole franchise of Tom Hiddleston chewing the scenery every time he's on camera. Um, he gets he I, I think he gets plenty out of Skarsgård, plenty out of Natalie Portman. Um, I, I think uh, uh, underrated um, is uh, Jamie Jamie. Um, Who's Sif? Alexander? Who, yeah, Jamie Alexander. Oh, Jamie think. Alexander. Yeah, yes. she doesn't have a lot of lines, but she's convincing in her role as actually the scariest person every time she's on screen. She's uh, good enough that <laughs> I know that my wife and I are always going, are they ever going to bring Sif back? They yes, really need yeah, to bring I Sif love back. Sif, and she's a part of yeah. it. So the acting in this is just absolutely incredible, and I, I, I think that's something I had. Clark Gregg. Clark Gregg is wonderful in this oh, movie. Oh, yes, yes. Um, and that's something I hadn't, really thought of in hindsight and it's been a while since i watched this and when i'm watching this this isn't just a movie full of a-list actors that were slumming it in a popcorn flick this is a movie of a-list actors doing a-list actor things uh and i think that scene in when loki is is uh is challenging um is challenging odin to let him know you know why am i here are you actually my father 
both of them are so wonderful. Like like watching Anthony Hopkins get outacted by someone that we probably didn't know who he was at that time. Like that's that's incredible. Yes. That's I I think that scene is Tom Hiddleston's best performance in the entire fr- MCU, which is saying a lot. Um, and, and that's nothing. Anthony Hopkins was doing great in this as well. And I just could not get over how amazing and compelling all the acting and all the dialogue was. in this as as it went on, the eyes Eduardo yeah. is giving you right now for what you just said are like when Loki is just watching Odin rip <laughs> Thor apart for invading Jotunheim. And he's like, uh, why am I here? I was trying yeah. to figure out what got that look. And I think I just did. <laughs> it was the, what you said about this being his best performance. Oh, really? That's not what I thought it was. Interesting. That's what, that's what made my eyes go big. And I'm not saying it was a bad performance. I thought it was really good. But I think Loki as a character continues to grow and get so much better. And I think I think it only goes up from here. I don't think I think it sets the bar really, really high at this movie and then just gets bigger from there. But I think it, I think there are better scenes. So I think Loki, the character does develop, but Tom Hiddleston's delivery in that in that tell me when he's screaming tell me trying to figure out like what is his family I, I think that's an emotional level that Tom Hiddleston doesn't pull out at any other point not because he doesn't necessarily need to um, yeah we never see Loki vulnerable right. essentially ever again I think you do a little bit in Dark World but I would, yeah. But I don't Boy, think a- man, I do not remember Dark World like I think I do. <laughs> Here's the spoiler for Dark World. Everything sucks except Tom Hiddleston. Yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, the uh the relationship between and Renee Thor Russo. and Loki is the best part of Dark World. Um yeah. someone yeah. backed me up on quote. this. Did anyone else actually yeah. like the actors? <laughs> yes. No, yeah. I actually I wrote down the quote from that scene where Loki says to Odin, so I'm no more than another stolen relic locked up in here until you might have use of me because Odin is saying, oh, I wanted to maybe build an alliance between our two realms. And that's why I kidnapped you, little boy. <laughs> yeah. you know, like that's going to help. And sure just the, the pain and anguish in Loki's face and voice in that scene, you really, really feel mm-hmm. for him. He has had just a horrible life. And the other good thing in Dark World is getting to see the relationship that Loki has with his mother. Yes. Whereas Thor is a daddy's boy. Daddy's boy. No, I should not have phrased it that way because I'm thinking of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. (laughs) (laughs) Second episode where that show has come up. (laughs) But, uh, uh, you know, he, Odin, excuse me, uh, Thor wants to be like his father, but Frigga sees Loki and raises him, pretty mm-hmm. much teaches him magic and helps him to grow into his own. Mm-hmm. And that's that's one of the underrated aspects of Dark World. But going back to Loki in this movie, just that pain, the betrayal, and you do see it later on in the final confrontation between Thor and Loki as well, where he's saying, all I wanted was to be your equal. Hmm. And you get the sense that part of it is that, yes, Loki wants power, but you discover that the root of that Loki wants his power because he's felt so out of place. He's never felt like Odin's true son. Even before he finds out that he was kidnapped, he never felt like he was ever given the time of day, the way Thor was always like Thor, this Thor, that Thor, that also, yeah, Loki's here too. And I remember I also wrote down in that last scene when uh, Thor and Loki are fighting, there are tears running down Loki's face as he's yelling at him. 
And to see that emotional vulnerability in the climactic battle between the hero and the villain is just so great. I noticed and, that and, too. And the rest of the cast is great as well, I, I do think. I agree. As, yeah. as you said, Hemsworth, no one really knew who Chris Hemsworth was at this point. He was pretty much an unknown. And he, people really, really like him now. And he does a great job of, of playing that brash, young, you know, stuck up kid, really, who thinks that he's better than he is and gets a taste of humility. And as we find out later, we also find out that he is just a hilarious actor with great comic timing as well. Right. Absolutely. He gets way funnier, and man. Like as as the yes, movies go yeah, on, he's true. just he really yeah. finds his his niche, man. And like like and we'll obviously we'll talk about it in Ragnarok, but uh like it's like right there, I just feel like he just takes off to a whole different level. And I'm gonna take yeah. that. And he's <laughs> yeah. And he's got great lines in this oh, too, with between yeah, the uh when they're sitting at the coffee shop and he goes, this drink, I like it. And he throws the coffee cup down and shouts, another, another. <laughs> and then when he, when he barges into <laughs> the store and says, I need a horse. Oh, <laughs> uh, we don't have those. We just have dogs, cats, and birds. Then give me one of those large enough to ride. <laughs> <laughs> and it's son so of good. Cole. So the delivery of son of, son Cole, of Cole is just so subtle. It's like, wait, did he just say it? <laughs> yes. Like, I didn't catch it the first time I watched it. Know this, son of Cole. We are on the same side. <laughs> it's, it's great. I, he plays broad comedy really well, but he also does subtle humor very well. Anthony yeah. Hopkins is Anthony Hopkins, and he's doing a good performance in this as well. Screaming. Yeah, it, Lots of good, good, angry screaming. Oh, oh, yeah. When Loki's like, if I may, and he turns and goes, Rah! Yeah, that is, that's the best. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you are a great, uh, what is you are a vain, greedy, cruel boy, but you're not king. Not yeah, I mean, he got my attention, you know. I was like, yes, sir, I'll stop talking. Yeah. Yeah, whenever you can see the spit <laughs> flying, it's you know, it's good. And Hiddleston gives us some of that in Avengers, too. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. We then yeah, move no, on it to, is an uh, excellent cast. We then move on to Loki naming himself king. And the Warriors 3, as well as Sif, begin to think that, that something might be wrong. Thor then attempts to recover the hammer from that compound we spoke about. And he is unsuccessful. And then he Hawkeye can, cameo! We finally we, we get our first <laughs> glimpse at Hawkeye in the MCU. And then we get a scene with Coulson no first in a sort of containment cell with Thor. And they're speaking about um, what Thor is doing there. It's, it's funny because um, right now... Thor or Coulson doesn't have any inkling of who Thor really is. And he's asking him if he's from like South America or if he's from somewhere else. Um, and Coulson leaves and Loki comes in. And it's at this point where I started to really notice how, how different the cinematography in this movie is compared to what we've already seen in the MCU. So the, the, from the beginning of the MCU, we got very straightforward action style movies. And this movie takes at least some attempt to make a little bit more of a stylized approach. I noted it specifically when the camera pans behind Loki's head when Thor is receiving the news that his father is dead and that he can't come back home. And I started noticing it more and more throughout the rest of the movie, but the way this movie is shot definitely has its own identity. And the Thor movies specifically kind of continue this. And then it starts a trend of a lot of these movies, namely I, the ones that come off the top of my head are like Guardians of the Galaxy, um, Ragnarok. There are a few of these movies that the way they're shot is very specific compared to some of the other movies. 
Chris is so happy you said this. Because one of my notes is Branagh loves his Dutch angles. <laughs> uh, a Dutch ang- a Dutch angle is a camera shot where the camera has actually been rotated relative to the horizon, so mm-hmm. that it's, it makes you feel uneasy. And I had always heard that Kenneth Branagh is a big fan of Dutch angles. And if you watch this movie, you really see that. In fact, I just decided to Google Kenneth Branagh, Dutch Angle. The first thing that popped up was an article called How to Ruin the First Thor Film for First-Time Viewers. And it links to a a YouTube video called The Dutch Angles of Thor. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I don't have a problem with the Dutch Angles, but there sure are a lot of them. I will say that. There are. I did notice that. What you need to know that's important is that they are very different from a Dutch oven. (laughs) Or Dutch bros. That was a misfire. I'm sorry. <laughs> wait, wait. But is it Norway, Dutch oven, Dutch Denmark. angle, <laughs> Denmark? We are. We're. We're no, already no, past. Okay. No, that no, no, joke. no. The spirit but... of Norway is will always be adventure. <laughs> and Dutch angles. <laughs> Great callback. For some um, reason, it's weird. Thor then begins to bond as Jane as a human once he finally gets out of the the little compound he he gets drunk with the doctor and then has a, a lovely night with with jane where she falls in love with him immediately and after she <laughs> i'm surprised it didn't happen faster after she saw him with his shirt off but cody you think that this so um, makes him a little bit more yeah so <clears throat> i always had a, a love-hate relationship with thor um first when you know knowing that he was going to be a part of this you know mcu and the avengers thor at first to me like had the Superman syndrome where he's just, he's a God, like he's just automatically strong and he's got all these abilities and he didn't for me at the time, didn't seem to fit into the, you know, the, the Avengers, like everyone else, like a Tony Stark or, you know, um, Captain America or anything like that. But this movie really shows his humanizing, especially when, you know, he gets cast out and he, you know, has to really earn his respect back earn his way to become Thor again. And, I think that's, you know, what gives him his humility is the relationships that he has with, um, with you know, Odin, with his mom. He's, he's a mom's boy, too, as much as he's a daddy's boy. Let's get real. And, um, yeah, and I think that's what, you know, really makes him relatable is like because Thor, you know, as his series goes on, he, he wears a lot of loss and he has to really deal a lot of hardships. And that what, you know, kind of gives him that relatable edge because. Let's face it, not many of us, besides President Company excluded, are, you know, gods. And so we can't, you know, we don't understand what it's like to be a god, but we can understand what it's like to have human struggles. And I think that's, you know, things that happen in in the Thor movie that, uh, I don't know, ground him a little more that made me see him in a different light than I had previously. I'm going to disagree with everyone's points for this whole movie. Um, <laughs> we're just going to be series of people saying things and me being like, I didn't see it. Yeah, I didn't. I mean, you're the yeah. one that likes the Hulk, so you're it makes right. sense. You're right. You're, you're right. right. You're right. Your opinion you're right. is invalidated. When you're right, you're right. See, now but you're not this, disagreeing with me. <laughs> I'm not. This movie did not make me care about Thor at all. I was lukewarm on him and the movies that start make me care like i didn't i don't think i started caring about thor as a character until ragnarok i don't think uh thor had really sort of hit for me hit his stride until ragnarok and i'm curious to see as we continue the rewatch if i feel the same way but after watching the first uh, movie so far i feel exactly that way i don't 
really care for the character and, and it'll be fun to see him. It's also tough for me because we've already seen peak of what Thor can be. And that's fat Thor, <laughs> and nothing's ever going to be fat Thor. Like it's never, we're never going to get better than that. Oh you think gosh. we'll get a workout montage I, in Thor four of him like losing all the way. <laughs> I hope no. I hope he just stays. I hope he stays chunky. I like it. I think it's good. I think it maybe shows how difficult it is to get back in shape once you've gotten chunky. I think it's a, I think it's a good look. And I think, uh, I think it's important for that character to be the MCU. But as far as this movie is concerned, it didn't make me care about Thor. Not even a little bit. Yeah, it's right. Damn. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm sorry, I'm so Cody. cold. I'm so cold. I'm so cold. I'm so cold. No, no. I'm sorry, you're, you're right. I don't didn't. disagree with it because, again, like if just going based off this, I'm still not in Team Thor as much. It, it did take a while for me all the way up to Ragnarok to be perfectly honest as well. But coming back and rewatching this after everything's said and done up to, you know, Endgame at this point, I did try to see him in a different light. And I could see that's the way they were trying to paint him is like, you know, making him relatable because again, he's not the most relatable guy. He's a, he's a Norse God for crying out loud with a super awesome magical hammer. How do we relate to that? You gotta, you gotta give him a human story. You gotta give him struggle. You gotta, you know, give him loss. And then his relationships are what, you know, end up defining him all throughout the series. Yeah. And I think it's a That's good... an interesting, Go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I think it's a good point that, okay. I, I, I mostly agree with Cody. I did find him, you know, brought down to earth and becomes a relatable God. And I felt for his character, but I'm trying to remember if I felt that way the first time I saw it, or if this being a retrospective after all these movies and me starting to care about these characters, I care about Thor now going back because I don't think I can remove the movie from the person I have come to love over, over almost a decade. And I don't know if I can remove that, and I'm seeing I'm just now introdu- being introduced to this character. I don't think it is that. I think I'm going back and rewatching something I already care about. And so I honestly think that you're kind of both right. It's just how much can you watch the movie, um, how much can you compartmentalize this movie away from the larger MCU? And I don't think I can necessarily. I think that the beginning of the MCU... And I'm just not piecing it together in this in my mind. The reason some of these movies I think maybe don't hold up as well or aren't, weren't successful is they, because they were made based off of characters that weren't relatable. Like I don't think the original Thor was that relatable. I don't think Tony Stark is that relatable of a character. I don't think Edward Norton's Bruce Banner is a relatable character. I don't think they start getting real humanized relatable characters until maybe Captain America. Like I don't think the relatability of some of these characters is is there yet. That's like, true. Think about think about like a Norse god or a, this you know this person who is smarter than all of us and is quippier than all of us. Or think about Bruce Banner who is kind of weird and not necessarily like any like they're just they aren't necessarily relatable characters. Like think about Spider Man and why Spider Man was so successful because Peter Parker is the most relatable character that's ever been put on your comic book. He is all of us wrapped into one. He's every comic book nerd that has ever picked up a comic book in their entire life. He's a nerdy guy that, you know, tries to live his life even though life keeps throwing curveballs at him. And the cur- obviously the curveballs that he gets are a little bit bigger than the rest uh, of us. But there are curveballs and the less things that we can relate to. Whereas some of these other characters, there are stories that we can enjoy, but we can't necessarily picture ourselves. Agreed. At least that's what I think. I think that's astute. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is that now, after all 
10 years of the Marvel Cinematic Universe so far, I think those characters have become relatable. And that's one of the great things about the Marvel characters. And broadly speaking, the Marvel Marvel in general has always been they they always said, oh, this is the world outside your window. They wanted it to be relatable Uh, going back to the early days with the Fantastic Four and Spider-Man talking about in the comics here that they wanted the characters to be relatable. Uh, And that is what some people say is a difference between Marvel and DC is that the Marvel heroes, even the ones that are gods, are supposed to have sort of a relatable thing, uh, a relatable aspect to them where you could sort of see yourself in them. Peter Parker is, at least his origin is, he Mm -hmm. is just this high school kid who is dealing with tragedy and just happens to have these fantastical powers now. And the DC universe, they are sort of larger than life. You have Superman, you have Wonder Woman. These are kind of iconic characters. And I'm not saying one way is better or worse than the other. And I think that both of the publishing houses have aspects of what the other one is known for as well, because you can't say that Captain America and Thor are not iconic characters as well. And you can't say that there are, aren't several DC characters who have relatable aspects as well. But so one thing that I heard once that was interesting about Marvel writers, and this is uh, and say what you will about the writer himself. I know that Robbie's going to have some opinions, but I'm going to bring up Brian Michael Bendis who no, no, I just, this is just an anecdote. I'm not going to say anything about his writing. Uh, just, he wrote for Marvel for a very long time. And he recently, I guess about a year ago, might maybe even longer at this point because time flies and I have no Bendis is time coming. anymore. He he's yes, he's he uh signed a new deal. Now he's writing exclusively for DC. And he was saying in an interview, uh he, his first assignment was he was writing for Superman. And the uh as he's pitching his story, the DC editors were looking at him funny and he couldn't figure out why. And then he and they said, Well you keep calling him Clark. And apparently it is very common at Marvel for the writers and the editors, they refer to the superheroes by their, their normal, their, their regular people names. And at DC, they do it by their made up names <laughs> as Peter Parker would well, put it. And that's what the MCU fan fandom has done too. Yeah. go to Twitter. And when people talk about these movies, they do not talk about Spider-Man and Captain America. They talk about Tony and they talk about Peter and they talk about, yeah. a, a, about, um and steve you know, yeah, it is but Thor, I don't think right and steve that's not the that's i don't think that's the internet i think that's the mcu doing that because no i agree i no, completely agree there are no secret identities everybody refers to each other by their first name i think it's intentionally done like that to eventually become relatable but how often how often do you talk about superman as clark though because even in superman movies and even batman movies they spend as much time as clark kent and bruce wayne in those movies Right. But we still go home and go and say, and then Superman did this, and then Batman did that. Right. But I know that when I when we're talking amongst ourselves about the about the movies, we just go, Oh, that part where in Endgame where Tony gets the Infinity right. Gauntlet or Right. <laughs> where Steve picks up Mjolnir. You know, we are do we are talking about them as their their given names because right. we relate to the characters that much more. Yeah, I still and think about how many Batman stories in all mediums are about the idea that 
Bruce Wayne is his actual mask. Batman yeah. is the real person. And that that's not and this is not a criticism, but yeah. you're right. That's an astute point. That's not what a Marvel character is. Yeah, I still shudder when anybody calls him the Winter Soldier. I only know him as Bucky, and I don't think I could ever mm-hmm. know him as anything but Bucky. That's true. Yeah, that's what that's what sets the Marvel universe apart from. <clears throat> I won't even not even not just DC, but I mean, honestly, any any superhero genre and out there, it's like they're they're we see them as their people first, rather than just superheroes. Like they're they're people who happen to be superheroes or have these abilities, and that we're they're just that's why we become such big fans of them and refer to them in the first person like that. I also think Marvel has done a really good job as the MCU has gone on of making different heroes so that everybody has found a relatable hero to them. Part of the assembly of this show was finding people who enjoyed particular heroes because they identified with them. I'll be the first person to tell you that I knew absolutely nothing about Ant-Man before the MCU. And I am now just a huge Ant-Man fan because of that movie, because of Paul Rudd's performance, because of everything there. And I think Marvel does a good job of finding the character for you. And then eventually you will then see that character interact with all these other characters and you'll start to care about them all as a whole. Now, Loki then is revealed in the movie to be... (laughs) What a return segue, just like it never happened. (laughs) That was impressive. Is that revealed to be one of the the person that snuck in the Frost Giants into Asgard? And he's he's the one that started this conflict from the beginning. And Chris, you wanted to discuss Loki as as a villain as well as a character. And I was thinking about this as well. I was thinking about how... The reason Loki works so well is because we all want the redemption story for him. As you watch those movies, you just, you want him to be, you want him to be Vegeta from Dragon Ball Z. You want him to be Zuko from Avatar The Last Airbender. You want him to have that redemption story. And he never necessarily fully gets it. He's always Loki up until the end. Um, And I think that's what makes him such a successful character. What do you, uh, what do you think? Yeah, I everyone always talks about how the MCU has a villain problem. And I say that in Loki, we got one of cinema's best villains, but I almost hesitate to call him a villain because he plays both sides so well throughout his whole... He's an anti-hero. His whole arc. And the fact that I am hesitating to call him a villain when he killed so many people, like in the Avengers... Led an alien invasion of Earth. He did all these horrible things, and yet we still love him. And I think that is a testament to the writing, and I think it's a testament to Tom Hiddleston's amazing performance. And it's and I'm going to give partial credit here as well to Chris Hemsworth's performance, because throughout the whole arc of uh, Thor and Loki's brotherly relationship, which I think I've said before, is my favorite relationship in the MCU, period. Uh, I love them together and it hurts Thor so much that Loki has gone bad. And you see that in this movie, you see that in the Avengers, you see it in dark world, you see it through everything, like through every appearance they have together. You really are the worst brother. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, and we get it with, with a side of jokes as well. Uh, He turned me into a frog. (laughs) He knows, he knows I love frogs, which I think actually makes it feel even more real. Like, a, like, a real tr- like they truly are brothers. 
and you, you know, to think of them as childhood brothers as well, and the kind of relationship that brothers have. But just the way uh, I'm going to jump in a little bit to Avengers when Thor first confronts Loki in that movie, and he's saying, "You come home," like he is appealing to his brother as his brother, and at that point, it feels like Loki is too far gone to ever be redeemed. But we still want it. We still want it. And it is just such such a great character, just beginning to end. Very, very complex to the point where that, I, that's why I feel like he's not just a great villain. He is a great character in and of himself. Agreed. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. Um, and we obviously spent a lot of time talking already about how it's Tom yeah. Hiddleston. Yes. Um, we will spend more time, I think, talking about how great Loki is. Um, In the but... next episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually think that this is probably the last episode that we'll talk about Loki in any depth. You could bring it up in the Avengers. I mean, we possibly, talked about but... Ant-Man in this episode. <laughs> no, yeah. So we might talk about Loki <laughs> in the next one. I would say. I would say this is got... an audio yeah. medium guy. The audience cannot hear you yeah. staring at me in anger. <laughs> Yeah, I'd say we've got three or four more good talks about Tom Hiddleston. <laughs> we could just start a Tom Hiddleston podcast and just talk all exclusively about him. Maybe we should. <laughs> That's what this is, basically. Yeah, right now it kind of is. So Sif and the Warriors 3 then go to Earth to rescue Thor. Thor finds out that Loki was behind it the whole time. Um, and then Loki sends the Destroyer to kill Thor. I want to talk just a moment about the Destroyer to just say... He's the most boring villain I've ever seen in my entire life, and I hated every second of it. Okay, not he's every second. He of it. is. The destroyer is a weapon. To be yeah, f- he's not really a villain. Sure, I mean, he is. I, I everything with the destroyer bored me, and I just wanted more interaction between Thor and Loki. And I I get the the plot device purposes of it, but I also just kind of didn't like it. Uh, the well, best part of hundred- the no, go ahead. I was going to say he's 100% plot device because why did they have him sealed behind a magical curtain in the vault so that if people show up to take things from the vault, they have to first open the magical curtain before he'll attack them. Why doesn't he just hang out in the vault? Because then how would they have that cool shot of the curtain opening? They don't need the curtain. It's like a bead curtain, man. You don't need a it's bead a fantasy curtain. fantasy version of a home security system, okay? Like, it's, yeah. <laughs> I, I guess. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, the best thing about the Destroyer is when it arrives on Earth and Agent Sitwell and Agent Coulson see it. And Sitwell oh. says, is that one of Stark's? And Coulson goes, yeah. I don't know. The guy never tells me anything. It's one of oh, those good segue. fun references to another... Uh, another movie uh, again we're really starting to see the interconnectedness of the marvel cinematic universe here but not in a hit you over the head way it's just right exactly kind of fun references and i love it right and just another reason that i love colson in this movie that we got a character who not even from the comics originally from iron man the film who then goes on to become a major character in four <laughs> a completely different movie and, and sitwell can eat a dick yeah but we don't know that yet yeah, when Coulson says early, earlier in the movie, as they're taking all of Jane's stuff, he goes, I'm sorry, Miss Foster, but we're the good guys. I'm like, Coulson, you don't know what. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you're you're, you're going to never you're, will. You're going to be. Yeah, he did. <laughs> That's not canon anymore. I thought we decided that. No, the Netflix stuff isn't canon. We've decided oh, okay. the, the TV, oh. uh, 
the show pretty the much show Agents is, of Shield still it. pretty much fits in. But anyway, that's well, that's another topic altogether. We'll do a special Agents of the Shield episode someday, maybe. Uh, <laughs> um, well, and Eduardo, I think yeah. something we talked about earlier is I think some of the stuff that ends up hurting, at least in y'all's opinion, uh, this film. And honestly, I don't disagree with you on the Destroyer. Actually, is this feeling that no, we have to have we have to have the comic stuff and the origin story. And if I'm not mistaken, the Destroyer is what Loki used literally in his first comic to attack hmm. um thor with and so I, I if i'm not mistaken it was very early on i think it was actually the first appearance of loki he attacked thor with the destroyer and so i think it was again this beholden to well we have to have this in the movie and sometimes that's true but sometimes what you're putting in the movie is a boring thing that no one remembers for a reason so Here's my here's my theory is that at the beginning of the MCU we were taking the comic story and then adding in our own pieces whereas in later on in the MCU we were taking pieces from the comic story and creating our own story from that. Yes. And I think right. when they figured that out that's when things started to really take off and I think here we're still doing the reverse of that which is here's the comic story how do we fit this on a big screen rather than here are pieces from the comics. How do we create our own story? Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, I guess that's probably why the Destroyer didn't necessarily fit with me. Um, but he, he he lands on Earth nonetheless. He fights all of Thor's friends. They get their asses kicked. Um, Thor then sacrifices himself to save his friends in his town. And Mjolnir finds him worthy after the sacrifice, and then he becomes Thor once again, restores all of his powers, and kicks the crap out of the Destroyer. Now, both myself and Chris thought this reminded us of different stories, which are actually based just off of this story, which is really funny. In the notes I had put down, this is um, I was watching this movie with my wife, Bailey, and at this exact point, she was like, this is basically just the sword and the stone, but with Thor. And Chris, you had likened it to Hercules, but there yeah. are a lot of the same. It's a lot of the same story. The, the, the Disney's Hercules, specifically. Yes, right, I say specifically Disney's Hercules. Um, where of the not the one with the rock. No, not yeah, not the one with the rock. Not the one with Kevin Sorbo. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this idea, the, this idea of the empowered hero losing everything and then having to redeem himself um, to then get his abilities back and then save the world, or you know. Some, learn what it means to be a true hero. There we go. Use the line from the Disney movie. Perfect. Um, yeah. But yeah, so it th- there are a lot of similarities there. Then when we were talking about this before the show, Robbie let us know that these both of these are actually based off of Norse mythology about well, yeah, the story and, about Thor. Yeah, in a lot of ways. Um, and I do absolutely, guys, want you to expand on those if you if you have more to say. But I did think it was really interesting that you both said that. Um, I was, for a brief period of time, a classical studies minor in college. And I spent a lot of time on um, how mythology bleeds into other mythology. uh, And also, very specifically, Nordic mythology. And I don't have everything memorized from Nordic mythology. But one of the things we learned is that there's a common thread in mythos. Because what happened is the Romans read Greek mythology and we'll take that and make it our own. The Greeks read Nordic mythology. We'll take that and make it our own. And, and it happens all over the place. Um, J.R.R. Tolkien, when he was creating Middle-earth, literally did that on purpose. He wanted his, his stories to read like he had stolen from Norse and Greek mythology 
but he did it on purpose. Um, and so the sword and the stone also Arthurian legends to a degree also come from those old mythologies. And so the sword and the stone has its roots in other mythologies, including Nordic mythology. So it's not sword and the stone is not literally just the story of Thor finding his hammer in New Mexico, but it is like, there's a reason you're seeing that connection to those stories it's not entirely on accident and it's not entirely lazy. It's there is a connection here on purpose. And same thing for Hercules, that Greek mythology and that later become comes Roman mythology. That's all something that gets passed down from legend to legend. And so we're looking at a movie that is literally taken from one of those mythos. And so the reason you see this stuff in other things like the giant wolf in in Thor Ragnarok, well, okay, that looks exactly like Cerberus and Hercules. Not a coincidence. It is all connected um, because, you know, people just pass down legends to other cultures and they'd spread. And, well, it starts to seem unique and it gets its, a life of its own, but they're all connected through the same history of human storytelling. My eyes just caught the Joseph Campbell book on my bookshelf uh, right now. Oh, excellent. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's what, so Joseph Campbell is something we had to read for those classes. Yeah. Um, and so absolutely, that's a great example. Thor then heads over to Asgard, confronts Loki, telling Jane he's going to return. Spoiler alert, he he doesn't. I mean, he does eventually, but yeah. the rest of the movie... Takes a while. <laughs> it takes a while. Um, leaves her hanging. Frost giants try to kill Odin, but Loki kills him. Um which is basically Loki's way of trying to earn his dad's affection by saving a dad's life, even though he put his dad's life in danger in the first place. Yeah. Can I cut in for a second that yeah. it just shows you Loki reminds me of a smarter, um, uh, probably better smelling Captain Jack Sparrow at this point, because <laughs> he has his plan has so many switches that no one knows whose side he's on. He, he brings in the Frost Giants at the very beginning of the movie just to ruin his brother's day because he's he's a little brother. Sorry, Dan. <laughs> uh, he, uh, he then convinces Thor to go invade Jotunheim. Does he know that it's going to end up with Thor being banished? Maybe not quite, but he figures at the very least it's going to make it so that Thor can't be king. Then Odin falls into the Odin sleep he decides, all right, well, also, I've just discovered that I'm a frost giant and my whole existence has been rocked. But he wants to prove himself. So while the whole movie, it looks like, yes, he's trying to kill Odin. When he comes in and saves the day, it turns out that, yes, he engineered all of this just so that he could prove to Odin that, yes, I am worthy of being a king as well. And again, that's just another reason that Loki is such a great character is that even though he is the antagonist the whole time, he doesn't end up being on the side of good in this movie. The fact that throughout you're still not sure in a good way, not because it's unclear, but because he's such a, he's, he's the archetype archetypical uh, trickster character. You can't tell exactly what his motivation is throughout the whole film. And the twist isn't that, Oh, he was good all the time. The twist is yes, I was doing this, but I was doing it for this reason not just because I want to be king, but I want my father's love and respect. And I, I just think that makes him such a great character. So sorry for cutting in there. <laughs> it's got to be the greatest pirate I've ever seen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Thor then arrives. He faces his brother, Loki. And Loki tries to use the Bifrost to destroy Jotunheim. Um, he threatens to kill Jane for making Thor into, you know, soft, essentially. 
Um, Thor destroys the the Bifrost, cutting off his access to Jane, and then Odin awakes from the Odin sleep, rescues Loki and Thor in time, and Loki decides to just fall into the vastness of space. We then get sort of a cut of Thor walking up to Heimdall and showing... Um, can I just talk about Heimdall for just one second? Yeah, we actually have nice. not mentioned Heimdall yet. Yeah, that's a, that's a sin, because well, he's great. to be fair, I think it's because... And once again, I don't remember the Dark World. Heimdall kind of gets passed over a lot in these movies, which is a shame because I just know that Idris Elba could slay whatever role he's been given. And he does. He does a fantastic job as Heimdall, but it seems like just wasted potential to me to have him be that character. Well, and Peaches and I were discussing offline that the... Heimdall's arc in the movies, including his appearance in um, uh, Infinity War, um, follows Idris Elba becoming more famous. So, like, Heimdall in this movie is... Idris Elba in here, is at this point, is not someone that we know now he can act, you know, circles around even some of the people in this movie, and that's saying a lot. But at the time, he's not famous enough necessarily that we have to worry about him taking off his helmet and having a lot of lines. Um by his third movie, he's got his helmet off with cool hair and he's an action hero. So like we, Idris Elba expanded a little bit as each movie went on, um, as he became a, uh, you know, a higher billing person. But you're right in this movie, Heimdall is just, he's a very good bit player, but he's a bit player. There's a reason he's not part of the synopsis because while he becomes important here, he's literally just a guy that opens the door. Yeah. I actually wrote in my notes, Idris Elba is great but not in this. <laughs> <laughs> and then later Heimdall appearances are much better, but he's a bit wasted as that it's not really his fault. No. Uh, he has like one really good scene in this, I think, which is when the warriors three want to go to earth to find him. Right. And he says to him, to them, you would betray your King. And they said, yes, we would. He goes, good. And walks away. <laughs> and like, what? And he goes, well, I cannot open the gate for you. And then he walks outside and, uh, they then figure out how to get there. But yeah, he definitely does it as his star rose. I mean, he was a respected actor before then. Wasn't he on Oz, I think? Or one of those one of those HBO shows that he was very... He was on The Office. Well, that's what I think of. He was on The Office. <laughs> he was on true. The Office. Yeah. Great. But he, he was a respected kind of TV actor, but he wasn't a movie star yet. But he has certainly become a movie star since then. And, and the, his... His workload has grown and throughout the series, but also they sort of took away some of the affectations that held him back because in this movie, he's very much always talking like this. It's, you know, the delivery's got sort of this weird affectation to make him sound even more otherworldly because he's supposed to be sort of this unknowable figure, even among the Asgardians. Right. As a, as a Fandral, I think, says, oh, he's an unusual fellow, isn't he? <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a shame because I think he could have been really great in the MCU. But to be fair, we are absolutely spoiled with people in the MCU currently. So I yeah, I guess I can complain, but do I really have any room to? Probably not, especially with how much talent there is now. Um, we then get the ending shots of the movie, which are Shield helping restore Jane's work, and she starts to look for Thor. And then we get the post credits scene which includes Eric Selvig arriving at a S.H.I.E.L.D. base, and he's shown the Tesseract. It's our first time seeing it by Nick Fury. Um, and then Loki is revealed to still be alive and, and sort of watching. And, and Cody, you wanted to talk a little bit about how this sort of expands on the rest of the MCU. 
Yeah, so, and like, you know, just like briefly, that was like the one thing that I noticed after watching Thor again was, you know, this was the first movie that really opened up the expanded universe outside of, you know, the first other movies, you know, Iron Man and Hulk all being very localized, you know, Thor is the first time we get an interstellar look, you know, we go to Asgard and we, we get to talk about the different realms and whatnot. And, you know, it just, it really opens up for you know future events to happen down the line all you know from the entire up to the infinity war basically up to you know the point where thanos shows up which includes you know the first time we see the tesseract which obviously comes into play a lot later on with the avengers and um yeah really you know how to treat like you know seeing that thor kind of opened up the door for the expanded universe to really be delved into further and that you know to push things that would be addressed further down the line well, I don't necessarily think this is the movie that, that starts that. I do agree that this is the movie that really starts to let you see where things are going, right? Like, throughout the first two, we start to go, okay, well, they're going to do Avengers, but, like, what else is there going to be? You start to see a few other things here, and I think after um, Captain America, you really start to go, oh, okay, this is where they're going. Like, this is where we're headed. This is where we're going to, this is how we're going to tie everything together. So this does, I think, I agree, does help kind of bring everything together. Yeah, I wouldn't have had a damn clue what that cube was if I had seen that post credit scene. I-, I guarantee that I did not see the post credit scene at the time of release because I don't think I saw Thor until it was another one of those ones that I didn't see until right before Avengers. I would not have known at all what that thing was. So I can speak on this. I saw Avengers without seeing Thor. I didn't know what and, I, and without seeing First Avenger. So I did not know what the hell the Tesseract was. Um, I knew who Loki was because of the comics, but I didn't know where he was coming from um i didn't know much of anything um i didn't know who eric selvig was uh i will say though it held up just fine it didn't seem and this is probably more for the avengers episode but i think it's important to thor episode as well as great as this movie is and as much as it established four avengers i think if you skip this and watch avengers you end up getting it in the movie just fine which which is very interesting I, I would go even a step further and say that you can probably say that about all of phase one, because yeah. I do know plenty of people who Avengers was the first one they saw yep. and they understood everything. The box office <laughs> claims that as well. Yes. Yeah. And again, that is maybe more for the Avengers episode, but they do such a good job of introducing the characters mm-hmm. uh, in a big crossover without the benefit of being able to put up a little box that says editor's note, see Iron Man number right. three. Right. Uh, Maybe that's why DC thought they could do it that way. Could have been, yeah. I think you're right. I think they thought we could yeah. rush to it because it's not important. And I don't think they were wrong. I think it's just they made a bad movie. Like, I don't... Yeah, the, the execution I don't wrong think there. the problem was that they didn't have a cyborg movie. I think the problem is they had a cyborg who had his head sometimes floating away from his body because they rushed the CG. Yeah. It's... It's like the Cats trailer. And, and they used the CG techniques directly out of right. 1994. Yeah, can you tell me how a movie can spend that much money on a budget and not get the CG elements right? Yeah, Steppenwolf looks like he was out of a PlayStation game. Uh-huh. And like, yeah. One of the old ones. Not, yeah, <laughs> not like a good one. they've never improved. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Yeah, I, no, I think it's it's kind of weird how that works, though. But yeah, you could almost like just go straight to Avengers and then go rewatch the first four movies as, you know, like, OK, I want to see what this is all about now and get caught up. But they, they still do stand alone on their own quite nicely. But Avengers definitely sets really kickstarts the entire MCU into overdrive from there, really. 
Okay, so let's talk about our M- MVPs of this movie and give me just one minute to talk about how I think Odin's great before you guys all gush about Loki. So- <laughs> <laughs> Anthony Hopkins as Odin, I think, is awesome in this movie. He was my MVP because, uh, like everyone else, I was expecting to just go in there and just be like, it's going to be Loki. There's no way it's going to be anybody but Loki. And then I was sort of surprised to be like, well, actually, Anthony Hopkins in this movie is fantastic. He does a really great job of being... Um, I, I thought of the movie Hercules actually. You know the the voice at the beginning of Hercules that's like long ago and like the before yeah, like, the yeah yeah it made me think of that. Um, Anthony Hopkins talking about the origin the, the the beginning and he sort of grounds the movie in a way that I think is really important. And also he just kind of like reminds me of my dad and I don't know he does a really good job of playing that character. Now all of you talk about Loki. Wait hold on I just want to say <laughs> does your dad remind you of Hannibal Lecter? No, but I don't think Odin reminds me of Hannibal Lecter. Okay, that's fine. I just needed to be clear. Anthony Hopkins just... is an actor. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Eduardo. I just needed to make sure of again. I'm glad your dad does not remember who I am by my first name. <laughs> I am totally safe. <laughs> All right. Talk about Tom Hiddleston. I ate his kidney with some peaches and a nice I mean, I'm, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what else we can say about him. We've already basically, we've already basically, you know, groomed him for an entire episode. I think, for me personally, I had a hard, I, I had a pseudo hard time picking a character because I felt like it was also going to be Loki the whole time. But as Robbie mentioned earlier, this movie just really is full of really yes. great actors and actresses. It's, it's not that it's almost kind of unfair to them that we're so Loki sided on this because really a lot of them had great performances. It was just that theirs were, you know, maybe this isn't how I would actually probably rate them, but if theirs were a nine out of 10, if their performances were a nine out of 10, then Loki's was a 12. Like, right. we can't, it, right. it's not their fault yeah, that he right. did so well. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I, I don't feel like I need to gush about Loki because we just like Pete just said, we spent the whole episode doing it. He is my MVP. He is everyone's MVP, I think, is what Eduardo was trying to get at. Um, but Eduardo, in your defense, I was real, real close to Odin. Um, and through the start of the movie, I thought, oh, my. So before watching the movie, I'm like, obviously, it's Loki. And then I'm watching the movie. And at the start, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to pick Odin and I'm going to stand out because no one else is going to pick Odin. They're all going to have Loki and I'm going to have to defend it. Uh but by the last third of the film, I think that's when Loki takes over. And I think that's where I switched back to, okay, it's Loki. And that's not to say, honest to God, I think Odin is one of the best perform is maybe the second best performance in this phase of Marvel. And uh, that's saying a lot. And yet I don't have him as the MVP of this movie because that's how strong I think the performances were here. Yeah. If I was going to pick anyone other than Loki, I was going to say Chris Hemsworth, just because the movie does kind of rest on his shoulders. Might be slightly about him. Shoulders. But but it still, it just had to come down to, as I'm watching those scenes, those scenes I mentioned earlier, there's just the raw emotion that he's putting forward, like no other villain in the MCU has done up until Mm. maybe Mm. Killmonger. Mm. Uh, I... Yeah. I yep. can't tell if that was a mm, agreement. If no, it, actually, it any, is agree- no, it is actually agreement. If anybody was not in agreement, <laughs> I'm going to kick it yeah, off. I, know. I, said, I said, I know Eduardo is going to be on my side about Eduardo this. Eduardo just had to change his pants when you said Killmonger. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I would say that Killmonger is the only one that comes close as far as having that depth to them as a villain. But What do you mean? Just, the robot yeah. singing Pinocchio songs didn't have the depth for you? I got no The depth, no, me. but I do love a good Pinocchio joke. Oh, Chris, I'm sorry to tell you, Ultron in Ultimate Alliance is comic book Ultron, but with a uh, James Spader voice. Um, why are you sorry to tell me that? <laughs> that sounds... I, I can't read an Ultron comic without hearing a James Spader Okay, voice. then we're good. Then we're good. Yeah, yeah. So how do you guys no. think this movie... I think we've already talked about this as Cody. Let, let, let Cody talk about his MVP. Oh, I'm so sorry, Cody. Oh, please, yeah. talk about your MVP. We have to know who he thinks is the, is the best. Didn't we already just <laughs> talk about how everybody said it was Loki? How yeah, many Lokis out of Loki would you rate Loki? <laughs> yeah, he, he didn't get to tell us how great Loki Cody, is. Cody, who is it? So drum roll, uh, it's Loki. Oh my god. Hey! Yeah, uh, yeah to make it quick and short, uh, everybody did a fantastic... Like, honestly, there is a, is a quite a killer squad of A-list actors in this movie that everybody performed adequate, more than adequately, i say. They, they did great. It just happened to be that Tom Hiddleston stuck out a little more than everybody else, and he's the a, he's a nail that stuck out the farthest, so he got hammered by... And that's that's why he's my MVP, honestly. Instead of oh my god, should we say oh my Odin? Yes. <laughs> oh my Odin. Odin's I think that's beard. proper. Odin's beard. Proper yep. nomenclature. Odin's beard. No, I like oh my Odin and Gamma Greg. Those are the two things so far I've taken out of this <laughs> podcast. Raven. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, all right. So how did we've already talked about this with Cody just a little bit ago? But how does this movie fit into the MCU? Does it fit in well? watching it i think this is the first one that's um i think really felt like an mcu movie to me before like again like the first two iron mans have felt like iron man movies the first the hulk didn't feel like an mcu movie to me at all this feels like they're starting to figure out the mcu we're starting to get into the mcu-ness of the movie yeah i agree with that i uh it more so in hindsight than i realized um, I don't kind of like we discussed, I don't think despite the fact that it does set a bunch forth for the future movies, I don't think you have to watch it to get that stuff. But as f- terms of why you're like, you don't have to watch Captain Marvel to get the movies either. Um, but it's an entertaining movie. And I think this is the same thing. It's not necessary to enjoying Avengers or Captain America or anything else, but it does feel like an MCU movie with its own, with its own personality. Mm-hmm. But it, it feels like it fits with this franchise. Yeah, the, the best MCU movies are the ones that stand on their own as entertaining, fun, good movies that have something unique to bring to the table, but also can remind you in an organic way, hey, yeah, we're also part of this larger tapestry, yep. and I think Thor does this very well. Yep. Uh, by integrating S.H.I.E.L.D. into it, by introducing the our first taste of cosmic Marvel, all of that comes together very well even to the littlest things just like side references about oh yeah stark suit and something uh oh keep going oh i was gonna say that one that actually ended up being deleted was when selvig is sitting up on the roof at the very beginning after they've taken all their stuff first of all he mentions oh yeah i I knew a doctor once he was a pioneer in gamma Mm -hmm. radiation shield showed up and we haven't heard from him again so that actually happens in the movie but there's he also then mentions, let me let me email a colleague of mine. Uh, he's worked with him before. It was originally going to be made explicit that that colleague was Hank Pym. Oh. But they ended up not doing that. Oh, that would have been cool. Yeah. Um, and then but we took again, forever just to get the little Pym. things. Yeah. Well, and related to that, something we haven't really discussed, but that I think is actually important to the MCU and setting forth the MCU 
is in the comics thor is literally like he is literally thor he is a god he has magic powers and this movie has natalie portman delivering the line that um what is what is magic to us is just Mm -hmm. technology we don't yet understand and so they did a good job and kenneth branagh brought in physicists for this movie because his stated goal for this film was make thor's powers in thor's world fit like not seem like magic and fantasy seem like it fit in this real marvel cinematic universe um, and i think eventually we started actually just going ahead and saying eh, whatever uh, we can have magic with like dr strange but at this point we were <laughs> trying wizards right? <laughs> at this point we were with trying to set forth this actual genuine technology that backs up what the guardians are doing and I think it's actually done very successfully. And so in that way, I think it fits very well in what the MCU is going for. And I think they did a great totally job, agree. With, job with that. I like it. All right. So I'll start off the ratings by saying I'm going to give Thor six and a half chiseled abs out of ten. <laughs> nice. <laughs> he could be referencing anyone in the MCU right now. That's a good point. That's true. <laughs> um, okay, I'll go next. Uh I'm going to give it eight of your Hubble telescopes. <laughs> eight of your Hubble telescopes. I have mine at a seven and a half Mjolnirs out of ten. Yeah. Meow meow. Meow meows. Seven and a half meow meows. Um, I went with seven rudely shattered coffee mugs out of ten. Um, and I, I also went seven Odin sleeps out of ten. Why, why is it called the Odin sleep? What? He's just, just sleeping. Say, that is not from mythology. Yeah, I couldn't actually <laughs> no, find anything on dumb. that. Did he have a stroke? Yeah, I looked it up, and nope, that's a Marvel thing. Just <laughs> when he said Odin sleep, I double-taked because I had no idea they were being serious. <laughs> I give them the Odin for sleep. Doing that thing where they introduce a ridiculous concept, but they say it with enough confidence, you're like, oh, yes, of course, the Odin sleep. <laughs> yeah, like, and when, you guys don't and know when about Odin, Odin wakes up. <laughs> When he wakes up from the Odin sleep, he'll take an Odin pee after he yeah. puts on his Odin clothes. It's the MCU <laughs> version of the three shells. <laughs> Just because it's Odin sleeping, you don't have to call it the... Oh, it's, I'm sorry, it's dumb. Right. Seven of those out of ten. <laughs> well, then, Peach, let's start with you. What, uh, how are you going to rank this movie now in regards to the everything that we've watched so far? Sure. So I think for right now, we can probably still be fine saying our ranking of all of them thus far i'm sure at a certain point we're not going to say every single movie in the order (laughs) in which we've discussed them right so right now i've got iron man still up at the front followed by thor and then hulk and iron man 2 cool i'm actually pretty close to you there um i think i'm the same i have iron man and thor actually i Changed around though, I have Iron Man two in my number three spot, and then Hulk would be at my number four spot at this moment. So I'm excited to hear hear Chris's, but uh, I was very surprised that I'm putting Thor first. And quickly, I will say that my Iron Man rating was eight out of ten, and I have since realized that that is not going to work on a curve as we get to the better movies in this franchise. So if I could go back, I would probably change Iron Man to a seven out of ten. They're really close. Uh, but I was surprised that um, I, I just I was blown away by how good this was in hindsight, which is what's exciting about this whole retrospective. Um, but yeah, this is surprisingly the uh, to me so far the best movie in the franchise. 
And I'm interested to see that sort of feeling of, wow, this is better than I remember, because that's absolutely what I got with Thor. Robbie, you can you can rate something lower and you personally like it better than another thing. Like in and out is clearly like a three out of ten. Ooh. People love it. Them's fighting words. Them's fighting words. <laughs> Listen here. Let's all right, you know what? We're not gonna talk about it. Water is wet. Chris, how about it you works. go? <laughs> yeah, I also, first of all, I also kind of need to make an adjustment to one of my ratings uh, because I fell into the trap that I used to kind of decry like video game reviewers of doing, which is thinking, oh, only seven and up are actually good. Uh, so I would probably adjust Hulk down, even though I did enjoy Hulk more than some of the other people in here, not as much as some of the other people in here as well. <laughs> <laughs> but but I would probably adjust Hulk down to a six out of uh, whatever rating scale i used on that uh but yeah i ended up with thor ranked first as well which surprised me because i was like oh yeah nothing's probably going to top iron man until until we get to captain america but no i when i sit down and think about it as much as i do love iron man oh oh, no and yeah i already said i gave it eight which is exactly the same thing i gave iron man as well so it's just a slightly higher eight i guess 8.1 but (laughs) if i sit down and think about if i were to sit down and go which movie what am I more likely to want to just pop in to watch? It's probably good. I would probably say Thor before I'd say Iron yep. Man. So yeah, I, I just enjoy, uh, again, we get more Coulson, uh, the best character in the MCU. Uh, we, we get more, we get the, the magic and the cosmic stuff that I really enjoy. We get a lot of great humor. Uh, we get the best villain in the franchise. Uh, we get some real fun ties to the rest of the MCU. It's just a real good time. And we get a Shakespearean director directing a superhero movie. Yeah. And we also get, I just want to say real quick, uh, I love the theme in this movie as well. Thor's theme, uh, which sadly we did not get to hear again until the very end of Thor Ragnarok, but it is probably the only superhero theme in movies that i could think of that i would describe as pretty it is just really nice the, and pleasant. we barely and like soundtrack music. Da, 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 da. Yeah, it's real this is yeah, a fantastic we'll have, to, one. we'll have to insert the music in this into our thor too because it's really good yeah and also foo fighters played at the end because why not time. yes back when they were still still yeah because it played in the background in the bar which i actually did not notice until i watched it this time i was like oh that's a song for the credits all right huh. now it's time for eduardo to continue along with his heresy uh i have mine rated hulk iron man thor and then iron man 2 hulk still is number one for me <laughs> i can feel all of you rolling your eyes i mean somebody <laughs> had to like it right <laughs> i think that's gonna cut it here for this week's episode of Assembly Required. Thank you again to everybody who's been listening so far, who's been sharing your feedback. Um, we really appreciate you, and we're going to be going through. They just announced all kinds of Marvel content for Phase 4, TV shows, more movies. So this show has got a path to move forward for the foreseeable future. So don't worry, we're going to continue to be pumping out episode after episode for you. But that's going to do it for everybody here, myself, Chris, Robbie, Peaches, and... Um, and Cody, you can find uh, 
right up here, right above me. I guess you can't see, so I guess it doesn't matter. Uh-uh. G-Vine crossover Gator Sax 2010, Robbie at PhilKid3, Peaches the underscore Peaches. Cody, you're new to the uh, to the Twitter game, right? Oh, yeah, man. I, I officially jumped into the pool because I wanted to follow a whole bunch of Comic-Con stuff. And so I am officially in the Twitter sphere. You can find me at Cody Kenobi. That's K-O-D-I underscore Kenobi. And if you wanted to follow the show, Assembly Required Cast, or is it Assembly Cast? Yes. At Assembly Cast. Assembly Cast. At Assembly Cast. On Twitter. If you wanted to follow our other podcast, Squad Up, that's at Squad Up Podcast. You can also search Squad Up wherever podcasts are sold or distributed, I guess. They're not sold anywhere because we don't actually take your money. Because um, yeah. we're free. Yes. You can also Facebook as well. <laughs> you can also email the show if you wanted to send us a letter about your thoughts. Maybe you agreed with us. Maybe you disagreed with us. Maybe there is one other person out there in the world like me who actually likes the Incredible Hulk. Please email into the show. AssemblyRequiredCast at gmail.com. Once again, that is AssemblyRequiredCast at gmail.com. That's going to do it for all of us here. We love you, 3000, everybody. See ya. Excelsior. Back. I just don't. I just don't understand your Hulk fascination. I man. just really like, like In and Out. It's right back to In and Out. Okay, no, 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 no. We're not going to go back to In and Out because you're wrong about. I know that. we're not. I, ha- I, I can don't agree like it. that my fascination with Hulk is its own thing. <laughs> I will not let you besmirch In and Out on this podcast. Sound Lord, I'm just trying you, to rile you, you cut out his dis- besmirchment. Oh, I'm Don't enjoying this merchment. I, I love a good, a good argument. <laughs> Every time I say In and Out, you should bleep it, and no one will have a damn clue what I'm Wait, saying. Wait, does Soundlord <laughs> defend In and Out? What do you mean defend yes. In and Out? Oh, come on. Yes, Oh Look, my gosh! I've only I don't want to. We agreed on every twice in my entire life, uh, uh, Robbie. Uh, we agree on so much, and yet there are some things that we super disagree on, and it's mm-hmm. it just makes our friendship mm-hmm. all the more fascinating <laughs> because there are some ways, some ways that we are so alike, and then there are some things that we are like complete. Like there are some really obscure, weird opinions that we are the same on. It's like oh, finally, someone who understands me, and then someone will mention I can't even think of one off the top of my head, like a video game or movie where we. Wind Waker completely on. Yeah, no, nope, Skyward Sword. <laughs> yeah, no, there it is. There it is. That's the one because you at least acknowledge that Wind Waker has a lot of good qualities. Yes. This episode of Assembly Crowd uh, brought to you by In and Out and Le- and all sorts of good stuff and Legend, Legend of Zelda. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, man. if you if you have the time, you should definitely bleep out every time we say In and Out. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler, I probably won't have the time. Uh, or I'll forget it, or, or I won't have the patience. All right, that's fair. Or I won't remember it until we get to the part you said bleep it out, and I'm going to go, I'm not going to go back and figure out when we mentioned it. <laughs>